This is Soundmaking, a podcast made by Hogan Stenner and myself, Matthew Schlomovitz. Each episode of Soundmaking features a composer or performer discussing the how and why of music they've created. The episode features music from the album Nocturnes and Lullabies, a collection of solo works for piano, organized around themes of transitional states between light and dark, consciousness and unconsciousness. The record features premiere recordings of music by Nicholas Deo, Rebecca Saunders, Philip Cashian, Mark Sabat, Maura Capuzzo and Wolfgang von Schweinitz. Everything performed and presented by the brilliant American pianist Richard Valitotto. My name is Richard Valatudo, and I am a pianist uh, currently based in Berlin. Yeah, so we're talking about Nocturnes and Lullabies, which uh, is a solo album that I really started thinking about it a few years before I finally got the, maybe you might say, motivation and uh, resources to, to really put it together. But um I became more and more interested in, in various solo artists who were putting out solo albums that were more of like a program concept. People like um, Marino Formenti or um, Pierre Laurent Amar's more recent albums. Something that, that might flow a little more. I just I got kind of turned off by the piano solo albums that are kind of just like a little anthology. And if you listen from piece to piece, it kind of makes no sense. One might startle you. Um, in kind of an unintentional way. So it was partly that, but also um, a few of these pieces I had been learning um, and performing for various reasons, and they hadn't been recorded before. So I think um, only one of those pieces had been recorded before. The record contains pieces uh, for solo piano by Rebecca Saunders, Philip Cashin, Mark Savat, uh, Maura Capuzzo, Wolfgang von Schweinitz, Linda Catlin-Smith, and Nicholas Deo. I, I love these pieces. I'd like to get them down. But um, I was kind of interested in what could be done on the production level with a studio album with piano pieces that are kind of more exploring the world of the, the piano's decay, the, the world of the, the sound uh, blooming and dying in the instrument because um, if you listen to this album and you know as the, the title of the album suggests these pieces are primarily slow primarily kind of meditative and, and not not really virtuosic in the traditional sense yeah so I, I was kind of pursuing with uh, with my uh, you know producer and engineer uh, Nick Tip who I'd worked with on a number of recordings and I had been in the studio with him while he was mixing other things. And I really saw like kind of what he was able to pull out of recordings of acoustic instruments. And for me, listening to a lot of albums, you know, that, that time of hearing the piano resonance decay, it often doesn't carry through on a recording um, just because of, 
the nature of recording and maybe it was not a priority to kind of really emphasize that moment, but, but to kind of pursue with the engineer, you know, what are the ways that we can, you know, mix this, uh, you, you know, use reverbs, use different effects, not, not to like change it substantially or, or, or alter it, um, too dramatically, but just to help it carry through on the recorded medium in some way gives the listener the experience that I have as the pianist when I'm right next to the instrument and I'm hearing those sounds like in all of their complexities kind of blooming and decaying um, and to, and to maybe to try to get that on an album. So that, that was kind of the, the motivation in, in the like recording and production process. I think part of the project came out of like, oh, what if I did a Nocturnes record and um, it had no Chopin on it, you know, or, or no Chopin, no foray. Because um, if you if you Google like piano Nocturnes, that's that's all you're going to come up with. But uh, it kind of was maybe a little cheeky. I wasn't trying to make this like grand inquiry and critique into the like uh, romantic tradition. But um, yeah, I, I just I started amassing kind of a a list uh, or collection of of solo piano pieces from the last hundred years or so. Um, and that, that was kind of where it initially came from. And then the lullabies component, I think, um, was largely inspired by Nick Dale and the fact that um, the piece he wrote for me, which opens the record, um, is Nocturne. And the other large piano solo he had written was one of his lullabies. And so that that kind of pairing uh, of his pieces kind of inspired inspired that. But yeah, I wasn't I wasn't really trying to make this um, you, you know yeah I wasn't trying to make a statement so much as just um, using that departure point as a yeah field of inquiry.
Wolfgang von Schweinitz, he was one of my professors at CalArts, and I've always really loved his music. I He basically confessed at one point that he just had no interest in really using the piano anymore. But he had written kind of a couple of these smaller piano pieces, kind of as, um, you know, gifts or occasional pieces kind of to mark something. And one was a little waltz he wrote for Walter Zimmermann's uh, 60th birthday. Um, and the other was this um, plain sound lullaby, which the, the plain sound moniker is kind of attached to many of his more recent works. And um, I liked I liked the fact that he picked lullaby because he wrote this small piece, whereas most of his plain sound pieces are these very large essays, um, like the plain sound brass trio, for one thing, or plain sound glissando modulation, which might be his most famous piece for violin and bass. And, um, you know, all of those pieces are using these instruments' um, abilities to access a microtonal vocabulary in, you know, a just intonation language based on those instruments' like natural properties. Um, so the natural string harmonics, for example, as focus points or kind of hinge points to then have the artificial harmonics um, tuned precisely. Um, or for the, the brass pieces, like using um, the trombone's uh, trigger valve and as kind of this way to access the, the natural, the justly tuned pitches of the series. But obviously on the piano, you can't really do that. And you're, um, if you want to only use the harmonics, but still have it be within like a mostly accurate, just intonation language. You got to really limit yourself to just a few notes. Um, so he does that. I mean, it stays entirely in one key, more or less. Um, but it, it uses a number of, of bass string harmonics that all have to be extremely precise. And the technique he showed me, um, which at the time I was learning to use for his piano trio, uh, which was written about two decades earlier, um, called Franz and Morton, um, after Franz Schubert and Morton Feldman. Uh, but the technique he showed me for that was using bits of colored yarn um, that you would tie on the bass string. Um, and if it was a bass string with two or three, you would just tie it on one of them. And you just make a little knot and like put it exactly where it needs to be. And it, it really doesn't interfere with the bass strings sound. Um, as he would often say, he said, yeah, you can, you know, put 30 of these on and still play a Beethoven sonata, um, which you can. And I've, I've done it many times in concert, like, you know, playing other pieces that use that register.
So Linda Catlin Smith was a composer who I actually I hadn't heard her name before until I was playing Mark Sabat's Nocturne, which is also on this album, uh, for a concert that he put together at the Wolf in L.A. And his score is dedicated to Linda Catlin Smith. And I kind of, I wondered who that was. I wondered why. I looked it up. Um, there, you know, she's living in Canada and, and he's Canadian. Um, and she had written a nocturne for solo piano. So I kind of followed that. And this piece is just, I, I think, fantastic. Um, and she's written a lot of piano music. Um, at this point, I've played quite a bit of it. But... Yeah, her piece, A Nocturne for Solo Piano, was written for Eva Goyan, who uh, recorded it. And I just, um, there was something about it, the, the language, um, again, like the use of the piano's decay, the use of its kind of extreme registers, um, but not in like a dense way, just to hear the way resonance uh, interacts. And um, I think if you listen closely, at various points in this piece, there's this um, summation tone that she's able to... I mean, it's incredible. You're just playing um, mostly triads in either the low register or the high register. And very often, it's generating this E-flat 4, the E-flat in the middle of the piano, summation tone. And um, in the entire uh, last section... She, she composes then the struck E flat that because the summation tone is slightly um, off in pitch from the, from the piano's E flat four, she's like rearticulating that pitch. She has the pianist rearticulate that pitch and it grinds against it. It's, it's the tuning is slightly off. Um, but it was one of those things, that was one of those things I didn't realize until I'd been playing the piece for months. Because, like, you know, when you really start listening and really start getting inside and you, you're like, it was just one of those things I was like, wow, this piece seemed, it seemed so simple. And um, she's doing some really sophisticated stuff uh, with seemingly simple elements.
yeah, Nick Deo's Lullaby 2. Uh, when I was first getting to know Nick, um, and having met him, kind of getting to know his music, I immediately admired like who he is as a person, but also just his his music kind of exhibiting a clear, um, very, very considered um, approach to instruments, the way they're played, and, and also compositional form. And, and he clearly like wanted to develop a, a personal language. Um, it's, it's obvious from kind of his earliest pieces. And, but the, yeah, the Lullaby 2, um, I asked him for the score shortly after I got to know him and uh, was really interested in it. And this Schubert quote at the end, of course, is one of the most striking things about the piece. Um, it's, um, but the, the, the B-flat sonata, so it's taking the second movement from the Schubert's B-flat sonata, which was the last, the last piano sonata, um, and, and one of the most, you know, kind of cherished, I guess you would say traditionally, but that, um, as I was kind of doing more research and I think, I think it was like while this is actually after the fact, so after I'd recorded the album even, uh, but I was taking a seminar on Schubert at um, Cornell and reading some scholarship. And there's one music scholar who who's kind of commenting on how this movement is actually, um, I think they use the term Toten Wiegenlied or like um, lullaby of death. Um, and uh, yeah, I can't, can't remember off the top of my head, but there was a, a couple other scholars and pianists that kind of use this imagery of either death or sleep to talk about this movement. But before I wrote the liner notes, um, kind of discovering, oh wow, this really fits the concept. But yeah, it's, it just seemed like a nice, a nice way to close, kind of maybe accessing that 19th century piano tradition one more time. And then, you know, if you listen to it, it'll stops abruptly chokes itself out. <laughs> 